Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Thank you and welcome. And thank you for joining us this morning here in person and online. We love you. We love you out there. And uh, we love you that you are here. I thought I would be preaching to Nick, myself, and the worship team, everybody either COVID or weekend away, but it is so great that you are here, and thank you. It's such an encouragement uh, for me. Gary, I saw that turnaround, handshaking. Gary will be in the foyer after the service, kissing babies, handshaking, <laughs> photo opportunities. No, we, we, God, we praise God and thank God for his provision in Gary. So uh, do congratulate him and thank him for his faith in stepping forward into that position. Well, like I said, thank you. And, and I won't forget, thank you, Izzy. Thank you, Izzy and the team. They had some technical issues and things, but AVL, I need to bring it closer. Is that right? Thank you. AVL, there's all these signs happening, um, cues happening. Thank you. Uh, but also, thank you for the coffee team, the, uh, the parking attendants, you know, amazing servants of God. And throughout the week, there's so many things happening, so many people, so many volunteers, and the, especially those, oh, communion team amazing team. Uh, thank you so much for serving us and loving us so that we can gather in your name. So in Jesus' name, of course. And uh, so we thank you. Now, I pray that as we share God's word this morning, that he will speak to us. Today, we continue with our series, you know, beautifully opened by Dan, a couple of weeks ago, setting the scene, you know, painting the picture and setting the scene, bringing out the faithfulness of God and the incredible power of his promises. And last week, Nick uh, preached on the theme of letting go, the birth of Moses, as his parents had to let go of Moses and trust his faith in the mighty hands of God. And this week, we look at a pivotal point in Moses' life with the theme, Encounter with God. Before we come to our reading for today, let's recap where we were at in the life of Moses. So last week we heard that Moses was born to Amram and Jechabed, and when they could no longer hide Moses, they put him in a papyrus basket and placed him in the Nile. But he was drawn out by the Pharaoh's daughter, and she actually paid the parents. This is, like Nick said, this was a great deal. This is a fantastic deal. She actually paid the biological parents to raise their son. <laughs> oh, no. I, parents out there, keep praying, keep praying, right? That is a great deal. And when he grew up, um, when he grows up a little bit, the parents send them back. Right, send them back to Pharaoh's daughter, and he becomes her son. And one day, one day after he had grown up a bit more, he goes out to his people. This is important. He goes out to his people. He recognizes that he's, even though he grew up in Pharaoh's uh, daughter, under Pharaoh's daughter, uh, he recognizes that he's an Israelite, and he goes out to his people. And he sees an Egyptian and an Israelite having an argument beating the fellow Israelite, 
and Moses kills the Egyptian. Now, if you feel that's a bit harsh, go back two weeks and listen to Dan's message and you'll see why Moses took the actions that he did. The following day, Moses goes, sees two Israelites fighting and he goes and intervenes. And the Israelites say, are you going to do what you did to the Egyptians? What he had done the day before had been made known. I think they had social media. Anyway, they had known. So, of course, Pharaoh finds out, right? Sphinx book or something, aren't they? They chat, chat, chat. And tries to kill Moses for his actions. So he flees to a place called Midian. Here, the parents, I, I believe the parents let go of Moses a third time, right? Let's go. There he meets a priest of Midian who had seven daughters Good priest to meet, I guess, if you're single. Moses ends up marrying one of the daughters, Zipporah, has a son, and he settles there. And while all this is happening, the condition of the Hebrews back in Egypt gets worse, and their prayer, and their prayer goes up to God, and he hears them. So let's have a look at, I've got a map here. Let's have a look at where Midian is. So Goshen is up at top left, right? So he takes a small track. Moses takes a small track all the way across the Sinai Peninsula and goes to Midian at the bottom right of the screen. That's far. He really ran for his life, right? Now, this is good context because if you look at Jethro's house, apparently that's Jethro's house right there. And a bit distance away is Mount Sinai. If you can read that screen, it says Jethro's house. So obviously Moses knew where Jethro's house was and he goes to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai itself is, is not just, just a walk down the road. It's actually a quite a distance and that's important as well. All right, so keep this um, map in mind as we come t- to our reading today. Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 to 9. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the, fire, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. How do you respond to a talking bush? Hey, here I am. It actually says, yep, that's me. Another translator said, yep, that's me. Right? Moses, Moses, yep, that's me. Talking bush. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue 
them from the hand of Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So as we start unpacking this passage, this is what we know about Moses. And Moses grew up knowing about God, right? And he believed in God. We can, we can find that he was born as an Israelite and was raised as an Israelite in an Israelite home prior to being sent to Pharaoh's daughter. Don't know for how long, but he knew that he was an Israelite, which means that he would have been taught and he knew about Yahweh. Secondly, his father-in-law, Reuel, meaning a friend of God, uh, Jethro in our reading today, was a Midian priest. Now, Midianites were descended from Abraham through his second wife, Keturah, Right, so the, after the death of Sarah, Abraham takes another wife, Keturah. Genesis 25, check it out. So the commentators say, though it is not clearly stated, but it is highly probable that Jethro was a priest to Yahweh. In their own way, in their own form, they were worshipping Yahweh. So we can confidently say that Moses grew up knowing about and believed in Yahweh, and he was acquainted with Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, second thing. Second thing we know about Moses was that he was disturbed by the injustice and the oppression of the Hebrews. This was on his mind, and I don't think we were stretching it if I was to say that this, the people of Israel was on his heart. He would not have killed the Egyptian in the first place if he didn't, and God would not have pointed this out. Indeed, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned, I am concerned about their suffering. Why would he say that to Moses if he himself was not concerned? Because Moses would just brush it off and say, so what? I don't care. I'm here in Midian tending flock. I'm fine, I enjoy tending flock. But no, God points out, I have heard their cry. I know what's in your heart. So we can conclude that Moses lived as a shepherd in Midian. He knew God and has a heart for his people. So that said, Moses through the burning bush, firstly, he firstly encounters God. If we are to walk with God in a personal relationship, at some point in our life, we will encounter God. And this encounter will disrupt our life. It will disrupt our life. Or should I say, it should disrupt our life. An encounter with God should disrupt our life. This encounter or encounters with God will forever change us. We will never be the same. Our encounters can come in many ways. 
in many forms, under many circumstances, under many situations. In this case, for Moses, God came in a supernatural way in the burning bush, and it wasn't by chance or by coincidence or by pure luck, you know? Gee, wasn't Moses lucky to be walking by at Mount Horeb, right? Horeb, Mount Sinai, and bush came on fire. Gee, he was lucky. Well, what are the chances that Moses should stumble upon a burning bush and encounter God? No, this encounter with God didn't happen by chance or by pure luck. I truly believe that Moses went out to seek God. He was seeking God and God was seeking him. Could we have the map again, David, please? Thank you. Jethro's house and Mount Sinai, from here, looks about like that much away. But in, in fact, if you look at it, and the Bible scripture says he crossed the wilderness, he crossed the desert to get to that point. Why would anyone take a, a flock of sheep all the way across there? Don't they have good pasture lands in Midian? I'm sure they do. But what was Moses doing? I believe he was seeking God. I know about him. I know about him. I heard about him. I've got this stirring in my heart. I wonder. I'm guessing that there was this great stirring in his heart as he, as he was seeking God. And Moses, up to this point in his life, he knew about God, he heard about him, but he encounters God for the first time. He encounters God for the first time. He sees a burning bush. And I'm sure Moses seen a burning bush before in his life, right? Many. But verse 2 says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him, flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw though, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight while the bush does not burn up. Now we'll come back to the angel of the Lord uh, in our third point. Third point. But Moses... But for Moses, he knew that the angel of the Lord was, before he knew that the angel of the Lord was in the bush, he saw the fire. He saw the fire. He slowed down enough to notice that the bush was on fire, but it didn't burn up. I will go and see this strange sight. He noticed the fire, right? The burning bush piqued his interest. God disrupts Moses' normal life. He disrupts it. How often in our life do we go about our normal life, normal routine, and miss out on our own encounters with God? We may even just pass it by as a coincidence, a chance, or even a pure luck. Oh, shush, I was lucky to avoid that accident. Or we may not even slow down to see God. If we are to encounter God, we need to seek him. And yes, he can, he can and he will grab us 
our attention in many ways, but he needs to be in our heart and he needs to be in our minds. Jeremiah 29 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. That's a promise. Search and I will be found. No matter where we are at and what we are going through, when we seek him with all our heart, God promises that we will find him. So as Moses did, and as Moses was seeking God, and because when, as Moses did, we need to seek God. And when we seek him with all our heart, we will find him in scripture, we will find him in nature, we will find him in community, we will find him even in little children. For he is everywhere. And as we seek him, encounters with God will happen to ordinary people like you and me. In ordinary days, it can happen in ordinary ways, but also in extraordinary ways. God may use us, use an ordinary or an extraordinary event or circumstance to tap us on the shoulder in order to grab our undivided attention to intrude into our everyday life and disrupt it. But the question is, are we seeking him? Are we seeking him? Now, this is the book of the month by Chuck Swindle. Not Swindell, Swindle, all right? Chuck Swindle, sorry, Dan, all right? And Chuck Swindle says this, what we need is a hushed spirit. We need a hushed spirit and a listening heart. A hushed spirit and a listening heart. I know for a fact, for me, I need to slow down. I need to slow down. I need to take that long round, right? Even, Even just to stop, even just to pause. Now, I'm not doing, you know, it's not me just sitting in front of Netflix and just being distracted by it, no. I might be doing ministry, but I might be neglecting God. I'm not seeking him, right? We just need to pause with a hushed spirit and listening heart. For for when we do this, we will encounter God. And in our encounters with God, we will experience him, right? And that is our second point. When we encounter God, we experience him, for he is a relational God. Now, the fire attracted Moses, and he's drawn to it, and he goes and experiences God. What piqued Moses' interest, the fire, right? Moses said, I will go over and see this strange sight. See, Moses slowed down enough. He slowed down enough to notice the unusual fire. The bush was on fire, but the fire did not consume the bush. Well, we all know that fire is dependent on fuel, isn't it? As long as there's fuel, the fire keeps on burning. It keeps on burning, but as soon as it's depleted, the fire goes out. But this fire was not dependent on fuel. This fire was not dependent on anything. This fire had the power to be its own being within it. And Moses drawn to it. He is drawn to it because there's something different. 
something intriguing, something fascinating, something beautiful about this fire. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Lord. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And how did Moses respond? He hid his face because he was afraid to see God. God calls from the burning bush and sets a boundary and he reveals that God is holy. This is the first time in scripture that the word holy is used. God says, I am set apart, set apart and distinct from creation. And the fire identifies himself as God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God that Moses heard about, the God that Moses knew about when he was growing up. The one who created the universe, the one who put the rainbow in the sky, the one who saved Jacob and the family from starvation through Joseph and how the Israelites are now in Egypt. The God that he knew in his head, that he had heard about all of his life, all of a a sudden became real to him, became real to him. You know, when we go on winter camp, by the way, winter camp registrations are open. It's open, people. Um, we can spend hours in front of the fire. We can spend hours in front of it. We jostle for the best spot. And, of course, the leaders give up their spot for the youth. No. Yes, they do. They do. They give up their spot for the youth so the children can warm up. You know, they sacrifice. The leaders sacrifice. Well, see, fire, fire gives warmth. It can be felt on our skin, right? It can be heard. As it burns and the crackling of the wood and as it burns, we can hear it. We can also smell it. Trust me, when we say, when we return from camp, our whole, all the clothes and everything, it just smells of campfire. We can smell it. You know, fire invades our senses. It is experiential. It is real. So when there's a fire in front of us, we know it not only rationally, but we know it experientially. Get too close to it, it will be harmful, even fatal. God says, do not come any closer. And Moses does show the only possible response to this experience with God, that of awe and reverence, as he realizes he is in the presence of God. And in our encounters with God, we come to know God not just rationally, but experientially as well. We experience God. You know, we need to ask ourselves today, we believe in God, but have we actually met God? Is he real to us? Is God real to me? Can I sense him? Can I feel him? Can I know him? 
Have I really met him? We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. To experience, to grasp the width and the length and the height and the depth of Christ's love. And to experience and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of who? Of God himself. That is a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. And that is a prayer for us. Church, have we met God? For when we do, it will will disrupt our life and he will be real to us. As we experience him, he will be real to us. And lastly, in our encounter with God, as we experience him and our experiences exposes God. It exposes God. Now, fire is paradoxical. It is both beautiful and attractive, but at the same time, fatal. There are times when we need fire to survive, like Tom Hanks in Cast Away, when he lights up the fire and is so happy, fire, fire, I've created fire, right? And even in, even in, even in, in our winter camp, we need fire to keep warm. Trust me, it gets really, really cold down in anger. But at the same time, fire destroys. We witness it every summer, don't we? In one sense, fire is life-giving, but if you get too close, it will actually kill you. It is attractive, but also dangerous all at the same time. There's a lot of good, but if you fell on or into it, it would be fatal. God's manifestation of himself as fire is brilliant. It is. There's so much good about it, but at the same time, it can be fatal. And through this, God exposes that humanity cannot live with him, but at the same time, humanity cannot live without him. And that is the human condition. That is our condition. We cannot live with God and cannot live without God. We cannot live without God, for we are created for God, that in him we live, move, and have our being. And at the same time, we cannot live with with God because we have turned away from God. Romans 3.12 says, There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have turned away. Because of our rebellion like fire, Scripture says the immediate presence of God is fatal to us. In Exodus 33, Moses asked God, show me your glory. And God says, no, you cannot see me, for you will die. Isaiah 6, Isaiah says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah saying, oh my goodness, I am dying, I am dying. I have seen the Lord. To gaze upon God and to be in his presence is like coming in contact with fire. The immediate presence of God is fatal to humanity. 
Broken humanity cannot be in the presence of God, of a holy God. We sang it, of a holy God, we cannot be in it. Then here's the question. How is it that Moses does not die in the presence of God on the holy ground? How is it that he is alive? Why isn't Moses consumed by the fire of God? This is where we come back to the angel of the angel in the bush. Verse 2 exposes God in this encounter. In verse 2, it is the angel of the Lord in the bush. Then rest of the passage, it is Lord in the bush or God in the bush. So how can this be? Is it an angel of, angel of the Lord in the bush or is it God or Lord God in the bush? Well, the answer is yes. Right? It's both. Throughout the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord appears and sometimes angels appear. In short, the angel of the Lord speaks as if he is God. But other, other angels speaks as a messenger from God and speaks for God. Let's have a look at verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. In Egypt, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, and it goes on. It is written in the first person. It is written in the first person. The angel of the Lord speaks as Lord God himself because the angel of the Lord is God. Sinful Moses was able to be in the presence of a holy God because the one burning in the bush, the angel of the Lord, is the pre-incarnate form of the Son of God. Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, came as fire. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. The Son of God came as fire. Moses experienced God in his encounter with God and exposes God, and God is revealed. The second person of the Trinity is revealed. Fast forward 1,500 years, and Philippians 2 records this. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He endured the cross, despising the shame to deliver, to rescue us from sin and death, that we may dwell in whose presence? In God's presence. This time Jesus came down as a man and takes our place on the cross, rejected by the Father, forsaken by the Father, that the abandonment that we deserved, the death that we deserved, Jesus took that upon himself so that we would not be abandoned but that we can have eternal life. Delivered, rescued from sin and death, and now he, Jesus, becomes our angel of the Lord. Not only that, Jesus has also sent us the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, and we are not consumed by the Spirit only because of the price paid on the cross. Now the Spirit dwells in us. 
dwells in us and we're not consumed. And we become the burning bush, the vessel of the presence of God. Amen. You and I become that vessel, the presence of God. And may we be that presence wherever we go, wherever we go. Well, church, in our walk with God, like Moses did, let's seek him and find him. Let's encounter God. Let's experience him and expose God in our daily lives. So as we come to communion, let's consider this. Let's consider this. Now, if you haven't received or you didn't pick up a communion cup on the way, please just raise your hand and our wonderful volunteers will come and bring one to you. So as we come to communion, let's consider this. Our encounter with God will disrupt our life. And if God is able to take Abraham, who was a liar and a coward, and Isaac, who was a dysfunctional father, and Jacob, a schemer and a deceiver, and Moses, a murderer, and turn them into great men of God. Think about what God can do with us when we surrender ourselves in the mighty hand of God. And let me say this. There is no unworthy vessel. Everyone is worthy to come before God because what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Doesn't matter what your life looked like before. Doesn't matter what you're going through at the moment. You are worthy because of Christ. Because of Christ. Not because of who I am. Not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is and what he has done. As we accept Jesus into our life, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit works in us and transforms us into something beautiful, something good, but at the same time, something powerful, which glorifies God. And this was only possible because of the cross. And this sacrament, this table that is set before us is a reminder that we we became the burning bush only because of his loving sacrifice. We are reminded that our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is, the, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, proclaiming what he has done and now the fire burns in us it burns in us for his glory let's pray
fire come. As tongues of fire fell on the believers at Pentecost, come. Sanctify us and cleanse us. Come and dwell in us. May we be consumed by your love and grace. May the treasures in these earthen vessels show that this all-surpassing power and beauty is from you and not from us. May we seek an encounter and the experience of you so that we may expose Jesus to the world for the glory of the Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this sacrament. And as we accept it in Jesus' name, in your name, bless us, Lord. We pray all this in the merciful, gracious, and loving name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's take the elements when you're ready and just be in silence before Lord as the team gets ready. Let's, let's do that. this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.